0: Welcome to MacDoshMod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we have a twofer.
1: Ooh, it's a double feature. It's
0: a double feature musical extravaganza. And we're going to
1: start with a movie that's not in 1975.
0: No, it's much earlier than that. We're watching
1: Funny Girl. The life of Fanny Bryce, famed comedian and entertainer of the early 1900s. We see her rise to fame as a Zigfield girl, subsequent career, and her personal life, particularly her relationship with Nick Arnstein.
0: I'm a bad musical theater person having never seen this.
1: It's pretty good. It's a great story. It's pretty good. It is it's
0: fun. I, was, <laughs> I, I, I do not like this movie. Why don't you like this I movie? Don't like this movie. I, it wanders too much for me. I would like to see the, sta- the, the stage musical.
1: Yeah, you think it wanders too much? Yet you would want to see it staged. I
0: because I like the story. Okay, I like the story. Just she wants to be a star, but she doesn't fit in. I love that she's the underdog. She's a funny girl.
1: But where where do you think it wanders?
0: I think it spends too much time in exposition and trying to show us. Her performing and like and then like the biz, like there's just too much. I can see this being much tighter on stage than it is on film. They're taking so much time with the let's flirt and let's be in love and let's go, you know, meet at the train station, have this whole scene and like and it would just be so much tighter on stage. I don't know that it would. Like, it I, th- totally I feel like
1: what you see is what you get from this movie.
0: I, it would, ha- well, this movie's two and a half hours long. Yeah, I it's know. It's too long. It's too long. <laughs> for a movie, this is too long. For what this story is, it's too fucking long. So,
1: this is 1968, and that's the tail end of the roadshow theater era. Mm-hmm. You know, 1975, we have Jaws. So, now we start the multiplex mm-hmm. blockbuster era where you sit Boy. down for one thing. This is one of those old school movies that feels like you're going to throw an intermission in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, no, I was expecting an intermission because of how this film is paced. Yeah,
1: there should be an intermission there.
0: There should be because this movie is too long and it's wandering. I never felt that. I felt it way too much. No. And it's it's just especially since there's so many scenes where it's just the two of them, I just feel like no. You don't and- like
1: you don't like scenes where people just talk to other people. That's not true at all. Oh, fair.
0: I want the dialogue to be good and I want the action to be interesting when you're going to have scenes where it's just two people talking. Well,
1: no, there's no action here, but it it feels it just feels like the only slow romance movie to me.
0: Which this is that's not what this is. That's not what this film is supposed to be or this musical. So, why is half the movie slow romance? That's the problem. <laughs> That there you go. There's the problem. I like it. It's very uneven. So I would like to see the musical because I feel like those scenes where it's just the two of them, where we have to like get to the meat of the relationship. Yeah, we can only have the two of them. We've got to have this scene. You get this two feet of stage over here, because we ain't taking down the whole stage within the stage bullshit. That's it. You're on, you're off. Next scene. Come on, let's go. That's how that works.
1: I just didn't care. Maybe that was because of one Miss Barbara Streisand.
0: Well, she was lovely, but I was just—I was annoyed by it.
1: I was annoyed by it. <laughs> annoyed by it. Uh, Diana wants editing. I want—I
0: want your movie to flow.
1: Well, the budget for this film was fourteen point one million dollars. It's a hundred and five million in today's money. It's not bad. It made fifty-two million two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. The rough equivalent of 390 million. It was the highest grossing film of 1968. Of course it was. And by all accounts, we talked about how things went south after Hello Dolly and the money losses on musicals. This might be the last of the big studio musicals from that era. Well, I mean, I just,
0: we talked about how she was told not to do Hello Dolly because she was too young. Yeah. This being the year before, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> because she's playing like a 20-year-old. And in Hello, Dolly, you get the feeling she's in her late 40s.
1: OK, but she also originated this role on Broadway in 1964. Yeah. She'd already done this for years.
0: And that's fine. But that doesn't bother me. That's fine. It's, this was also very common. You, if you, if yeah. If you did the role on stage, you usually get first crack at the film unless you've aged out of it.
1: Or nobody knows who you are outside of the stage, which was kind of the case for Barbara at this time.
0: No, it, it just depends. You usually get first crack at it because people had cast albums. People, when they go to see the film, they expect to hear that voice. And if they're not going to dub you, then they, they don't care. They... This is the one thing that musicals does better. They're not always looking for the most attractive person. They want the most talented person. This has definitely helped Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like not say, like Barbara's fucking gorgeous. Oh my god. But she's to the crux of this story, she's not the obvious choice. No. She's not an obvious
1: choice, especially for a Ziegfeld girl. Of
0: course. That's fine. That's what makes her fine and uh-huh. interesting. And you know what? <laughs> Cast people who are interesting and not just attractive and give add depth to what's happening. You just do.
1: The film was produced by Ray Stark, who was the son-in-law of Fanny Bryce. Oh, okay. His wife was the baby that we show later in the film. Oh, funny. So when Fanny is actually pregnant, that is the child that would later become the Wife of the producer of the film. That's weird. And Ray wanted to make this movie, but the story of Fanny Bryce had been kept a very close secret for a long time. Okay. And that gets us to our writing. The musical, Mm -hmm. and then the subsequent screenplay, was written by Isabel Leonard. This was her final screenwriting credit. Mm -hmm. Before this, she wrote Anchors Away, It Happened in Brooklyn, East Side, West Side, Love Me or Leave Me, meet me in las vegas please don't eat the daisies and the sundowners
0: please don't eat the daisies
1: a lot of second tier but still well-regarded mm-hmm. hollywood movies on that in Anch- that list
0: anchors away is a bigger one I mean, okay and what do we
1: think of the script of this movie
0: mm. Mm. <laughs> i mean i already said it it wanders too much it does
1: when it's on it's on though okay
0: like the scene where they're having dinner in the red room great it's just it's hilarious she's getting drunk it's flirtatious it's like all that works
1: but that's music that's
0: music yeah yeah but nothing else has that feel when it's just them that's the problem. Well,
1: not with them, but all the other characters that she's talking to, like her mom mm-hmm. and the people in the neighborhood and Ziegfeld.
0: Well, she pops more with Ziegfeld. Because oh, my gosh. Her and Ziegfeld are great. That dynamic is fabulous. <laughs> but everything else is just kind of won't.
1: You know, now that you say this, I think there's some reasoning for that. That's not just the writing and the plot of this movie. <laughs> The script takes a ton of liberties with Fanny Bryce's life, though. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this was not uh, it was not well known what her life was actually like. Okay, so she was a funny woman. She was absolutely a star comedian Mm -hmm. all through like the 30s and 40s. There's pictures of her doing like radio later on. But Fanny Bryce and Nick Arnstein were already married to other people when they first met.
0: Oh, Okay.
1: Arnstein's wife mentioned Fanny by name in her divorce case as the reason for alienation of affection. Okay. Arnstein was already a convicted felon. Mm. He was jailed at Sing Sing for wire fraud. Bryce had started dating him while he was in prison. (laughs) So it's one of these cavalcades where it's like, not only is it one of those things that he was already a felon, but it's also something that there's no way you could deny that. Because you met him in prison. <laughs> she couldn't have met him while he was in prison. No, but, but... she did She did spend time with him sure. in prison. So it's not like she could have been... It, there's no plausible deniability of any of no, this. No, no, absolutely. It's just so funny. Bryce was also, like the story is with many stars, never struggling or out of work. Mm. That is a complete fabrication. Sure. She was raised in wealth, mm. and she was a star by the age of 13. Okay. So... She had a much more normal rise to stardom. Yeah. And also, Zegfeld always had employed humorous acts in his shows. Yeah. This, this was not a novel idea that came about because Fanny showed up. Yeah. The movie, and apparently, this is a common trope with the two movies we're going to be watching mm-hmm. today.
0: This is taking wild liberties with the life story. On the other hand, it's still a fun story. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not interesting if we're watching a story about a girl who's unconventional, who's just successful. Where's the story?
1: Okay. We're just talking about her career. That's not interesting. The the story is The Disastrous Life Choices, which now you could get away with making that movie. True. But the the story
0: is, yes, she's got this great career that is being derailed by this home life that's bullshit. Yeah. This horrible dude is ruining your fabulous career that you worked really hard for. And that mouth of yours, which gets you in trouble a lot. Oh, yeah. W- which I also like. I love a woman, a mouthy lady. <laughs> mouthy broad. That's and, what she, she's on. Mouthy broad. And
1: Fanny is the ultimate mouthy broad.
0: Which I'm here for. That's interesting. If you, if you give her this career that when we meet her, she already has, who cares?
1: By far, Nick is the weakest part of the movie, for sure. The character, the story, all of it, it's not that compelling. It's just not.
0: Well, the problem is they get spent so much time on her career up front that we then throw this guy in the mix and then we basically abandon her career to focus on the guy. And it's like, okay, but this should all be through the lens of her career. Then we start focusing almost exclusively on him. And it should all be, how is this relationship with him affecting
1: her career? This is yet another case, too, of a movie that did it first. Mm -hmm. Because how many movies since A Star is Born, the 76 version, Mm -hmm. which Barbara started
0: with Chris Jefferson,
1: have we seen this similar story play out, Mm -hmm. but we've done it with a much weightier depth and gravitas that made sense for, a tr- for that troubled relationship. Sure. And it's not in this because this is a musical comedy. You get it just a little bit at the very end,
0: yeah.
1: but not enough to make a real impact. Yeah. Like To me, the way Nick is written and created is just weak and ineffectual. Compared to Fanny, who's so strong, and it actually drags Fanny's character down for him not to be a fully rounded character.
0: Well, he should be fully rounded, but, you know, it's the way she is is what he's attracted to. Yeah. Um, But it's a house of cards.
1: The, The movie forgets that this is her story a few times, and it's like, don't focus on Nick.
0: Well, and that's also why I'd like to see the stage play, because I don't know, does the stage play forget that? Maybe. Is it, is it like that
1: or not? Yeah. yeah. Well, now we get to our directing. And one thing I'm going to mention here is that the musical sequences are actually directed by somebody other than our main director. Okay. They're directed by Herbert Ross. Remember that name because we're going to talk about him a lot in our second part. Oh, okay. <laughs> or did he direct Funny Lady? He does direct Funny Lady. Okay,
0: that's good to know.
1: But he, based on his credits, I have to assume he was a stage guy because he did a lot of, he did choreography for several different movies. Okay. And also did some other credited sequences along with a long directing career Mm. starting in the early 70s. Okay. But our actual director for this is William Wyler. He is a Hollywood legend. Many of his peers considered him second only to John Ford in The Legend of Hollywood Directors. Okay. Okay. Uh, if there was a large statue dedicated to the titans of Hollywood, William Wyler would probably be on it. Okay. Before this, like many directors, he did tons of shorts through the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Then Jezebel, 1939's Weathering Heights, The Westerner, The Letter, The Little Foxes, Mrs. Miniver, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Heiress, Detective Story, Roman Holiday, The Desperate Hours, Friendly Persuasion, The Big Country, Ben-Hur, the Children's Hour, The Collector, and How to Steal a Million. Wow. And this is one of his last big movies. Hmm. What do we think of William Wyler's directing?
0: Well, he petered out. He lost his mojo.
1: I don't agree with that at all.
0: Yeah, I, I, Again, this movie wanders. And that we, I have problems with the script. But I don't think, I feel like some of that could have been helped with some snappier direction. I will say the scenes where she's on stage are are really good, but yeah. you didn't do those. Now, some of the, like, because the musical numbers. Like, the scenes where she was rehearsing with the dude at the theater, those were snappy. Those were good. Those had urgency to them.
1: They were great. Yeah, I think... <laughs> The more I think about it, the musical numbers are the most fun parts of the whole movie.
0: Well, I mean, like even even the sappy ballads, which I usually don't always love, those are done with some care. But like when she's in the theater, those are dynamic. Everything else is just very flat. Even the poker game, which should be tense and alive, is so boring. It's boring.
1: Damn it, you're right.
0: yes yes, i love it i love it when i can ruin things for david
1: and yet i was still compelled by the movie i never i never felt like i was pulled away too much you
0: enjoyed your experience of watching it and now i'm here to ruin it in your mind (laughs) stop
1: it (laughs) uneven is probably the generous word for it because i do think he has moments where he he brings it in you're right. Anytime we're at the theater, outside the theater, when she's when she's walking in the first time and it's like, you're one of the girls.
0: <laughs> well, and then it's hello, gorgeous, which is yep. the classic line. And I know, I know, <laughs> uh, because, of course, I know. But it's just she comes alive. And some of that, I feel, is Barbara Streisand. That's where she's comfortable as a person, but also, that's where her character would be comfortable. That's where she wants to be. Yeah. That's where she wants to be. That is where her character should be alive. That's where she's been fighting to be. That's, that is her actual home, is that theater. Yeah, so, you're not wrong. So it's way more dynamic. So yes, we have script problems, but I think that there are some... I think the director could have helped with some of those places where I go, want, want. he could have helped make them snappier. Given them a little bit more urgency to help them be a little
1: less womp womp. Yep, you're right. You're mm. right.
0: I love Baton right.
1: Who could have been better? Mm. In the running, to start with, were Mike Nichols. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. George Roy Hill. Oh, dig. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And Gene Kelly.
0: Okay. I think mean, she would work with him next year. Okay. <sighs> uh, <laughs> you know- if I'm going to
1: pick one from there, George Roy Hill. After watching Thoroughly Modern Millie, his style would have done wonders. He would have made movie.
0: it snappy. He would have made it snappy, but also same thing with Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly would have made he would have made the romantic parts better. He would have because he would have directed the fuck out of those romantic scenes.
1: Now I'll also say Mike Nichols would have done the fuck out of those romantic scenes and made them tragic because that's what Mike Nichols is really good at. I hear you say all
0: three of those guys would have brought something unique but good to the film.
1: Yeah, and this is not to knock William Wyler. I <laughs> sure. mean, the man directed Roman Holiday and Ben-Hur. Like, we, the the guys, the guy was, was a legend. I, we can't knock him. It's just this was not the right movie for him.
0: He, he petered out.
1: Yeah, well. Also, who could have been better?
0: Sidney Lumet. God. <laughs> you love to talk about Sidney Lumet. He
1: was actually hired for this movie. What? He was the original director. He left because of differences with producer Stark and star Barbara Streisand.
0: I, I knew it would have been Barbara. Barbara oh would have been y'all! Like, fuck no.
1: Oh y'all! When y'all hear how know. she domineered her first ever film role, Barbara don't come to play. You know what? Good for her. <laughs> I agree. I
0: mean, I have mixed opinions. We'll we'll, we'll get we'll, into we'll it. Talk about it.
1: So he had creative differences, sure, and walked the fuck away. I don't blame him. And Weiler was approached finally. He was deaf in one ear, and he specifically stated.
0: <laughs> he didn't hear half the shit she said to him.
1: Well, he specifically stated, I can't do a musical. I can't hear it. But he met Barbara, and after one meeting, he was like, Yeah, man. He loved her, apparently. Like, I. Well, we're, we're going to get into it, but I think Wyler was just like, You are sassy. You are a sassy. The broad, and I love it.
0: He liked the challenge. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> get it? It's like... Right. I'm an
1: old man, and you're going to put me on my toes. I'm here for it.
0: You're a challenge. I'm here for this. Let's go. <laughs> Something new and different. Okay, I respect that. I respect that.
1: And now let's get into the sassiest dame that ever sassed the silver screen, Barbara Streisand, playing Fanny Bryce. It's Barbara. She's returning from Hello, Dolly. It's Babs. This is her first film role but she was obviously already a well-known star after this movie she does hello dolly then on a clear day you can see forever the owl and the pussycat what's up doc up the sandbox the way we were for pete's sake funny lady a star is born 1976 the main event all night long yentl nuts the prince of tides the mirror has two faces meet the Fockers. little fuckers and the guilt trip along with continuing to be a singer and recording artist what do we think of babs in this movie
0: (sighs) i mean she's iconic she's charming as hell she's very charming so good i can't watch this and not think of dolly the the nails the goddamn fucking nails but so jewish so jewish she's not as jewish in dolly no she's very jewish in this film but i love it
1: now, to be fair, and this was something that came up too. Fanny Bryce never used like a Yiddish accent in her performances. Mm-hmm. She was Jewish, mm-hmm. and that's part of her her legacy. But Fanny Bryce was very much just a comedian mm-hmm. the 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 Jewish part of it was never a factor, so that's all barbara sure i I mean i lo- I, mean, I love it. I
0: love it. There are so many lines that I'm just like, I will be repeating and oh, uh, uh,
1: she's so fun.
0: She's very fun. She's a mouthy broad.
1: Um, Just when she's reading, she reads that little script and then walks back on the stage. <laughs> she turns right around before going to the rehearsal room. It's like, Mr. Ziegfeld. <laughs> Mr. Ziegfeld. So nobody ever talked to the landlord?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel a kinship to her instantly. It's like, yeah, I'm that girl. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, uh, she's...
0: I have that tendency. I'm a problem.
1: She's amazing, and ah. she's and she's amazing in the drama of it too. Like even even as boring as those romantic sure. scenes are,
0: she's good in them. I
1: believe her every second of the way.
0: Yeah, she's she's great.
1: And I and I love and and this is something that she's very clearly good at is so many actors get on screen in a musical and they're so focused on being on screen that they just straight sing the songs. Mm-hmm. Barbara never does that. She acts the fuck out of her songs. Well
0: she notoriously hates lip syncing.
1: She does.
0: She hates it. Does, and absolutely.
1: Doesn't. She's a stage performer.
0: She I mean she can belt the fuck out of it. So why would she want to lip sync to a recording of something she can do live eight billion times in a row without a problem? Yep. Totally get that. Totally respect that.
1: And it's just so refreshing to see somebody who can instantly Be in the moment while singing the song. Mm. You just don't get to see that that much. (laughs) Well, you
0: that's not true. You don't see that much from this time. Yeah. It's this time that you don't see that much. That's very true.
1: It's just like, Uh. oh, this is so wonderful to watch. Oh, sure. That's what makes her a star. Hmm. Of course, she originated the role on Broadway. Weiler was asked by a friend if she had been difficult to work with. His quote, no, not too hard, considering it was the first movie she ever directed.
0: Yep. <laughs> Sounds about right.
1: they gifted her with a director's megaphone at the wrap party <clears throat> um, and commented somewhat positively about her attention to every detail as part of the filming. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some obvious ways in which that became a bit of a hindrance, but I think what he saw in her was like, you're somebody who clearly cares. Yeah. as like, And as frustrating as you might be to work with on it Mm -hmm. you clearly want to know every single part of this process sure so i think he respected her a lot cool that's it she's there to learn Uh Mm uh-huh she in turn gifted him an 18th century gold watch inscribed with quote to make up for lost time unquote oh
0: see i love that (laughs) i like i like that on both because to me that says i know i made your life difficult Uh uh-huh um, I recognize that.
1: And you treated me with the amount of respect.
0: and uh, But we still respect each other. And that's what those, gift, those gifts uh, represent yeah. with a little bit of humor. And I really respect that because you know that they hated each other sometimes.
1: Uh, well, these are probably about the nicest things anybody had to say about her because everybody else had some major fucking problems with her. Oh, that
0: does not surprise me at all.
1: Screenwriter Isabel Leonard described working with her as, quote, a deflating, ego-crushing experience, unquote. Sure. Wow. <laughs> uh, numerous co-stars complained about her and Wyler cutting a number of their scenes solely to focus the story on her. Well. I don't care. Well, okay, here's the thing. What What I would have liked was a little less Nick and a little more of the other supporting actors.
0: Well, if we're telling the story through the lens of her career, where's like, does she have a manager? What's the deal with her supporting cast that she works with all the time? The other Zigfield girls, they should have more scenes.
1: And Frances playing Georgia James. Okay, yeah. Who we see in like two scenes.
0: Sure. Yeah. She would have had more
1: of a role. She was one of the casualties of this, and sure. she should have been in the movie more. I agree. That dynamic would have been so good in the middle part of this movie.
0: Her commentary on what her relationship with Nick is doing to her career is important.
1: And just that you're going to argue with him? Well, then Godspeed. <laughs> no, exactly, because
0: like she's funny. Like She's like, I'm here to have a good time in the beginning, but her still being a person in Fanny's life is important so no i i that's it's fair to be annoyed by that um you know that's the nature of adaptation
1: it's it's also just the nature of
0: barbara (laughs) well i'm to be annoyed sure and i don't disagree with that but also like this is just the nature of hollywood so i'm also a little bit grow up
1: about it yeah that's fair there were reports that she was constantly late asked for reshoots of scenes that were already completed and attempting to control the entire production from lighting to shot setups to hairstyles.
0: Hairstyles, I'll let her have that one. Everything else, it's not, it's not your lane, lady.
1: Nope, but... I'll give you hairstyles. The one side of it that I, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna enjoy this is we've talked too much about dudes. Sure. Wa- mediocre dudes.
0: Mediocre white dudes. Porn baby.
1: Walking into rooms deciding that they own the place. Barbara is not mediocre in any way. But she walked in with the energy (laughs) like she owned the place. Well,
0: she owned that character because she had been doing it on Broadway for a while. And that's the point. I fully understand her feeling, I own this role and I'm not going to let anyone fuck this up. I totally understand the attitude. There is a clear lack of respect for a film process, especially since she's never had one. Clearly, that was not the director. Didn't see that as an issue. Everyone else did. And here's the thing, because the director didn't have a problem, she got to do it. If the director put an end to it, I mean, the fish stinks from the head. So, (laughs) like, and, and this, I mean, it sucks that that was everyone's experience with her. Yeah. And, you know, it sucks because there's always a way to get what you want in these situations without being difficult.
1: And also finding a way to collaborate because a little more collaboration and building up of other characters would have really helped this movie.
0: And I'm going to say this because this was her first film experience is that I'm going to assume this comes from a place of just not knowing just a lot of the bristling come from other people came from not knowing
1: not knowing Her, her
0: not knowing the process or how these things actually work.
1: Yeah. And also being someone who had a lot of experience in show business and was not going to let anyone trample on her at the same time. That's
0: not grace I would give to a dude.
1: Nope. But I'm going to give it to Barbara. I'm going to
0: give it to Barbara here. Mostly because it's
1: Barbara fucking Streisand. I'm going to
0: give that to her.
1: (laughs) She also did stop the filming and production down to perform her famous concert at Central Park
0: she had an engagement (laughs) i I gotta go sing for the people
1: barbara that pays the bills people she's not wrong we talk about she hated lip syncing so the first half of the final number my man Mm -hmm. was recorded live oh nice they also did that to heighten the impact and and you see it the the emotion all over her face (sighs) at the end of that movie wolf we we have not cared that much about those two characters but she makes you feel it She stated that if any of her performances could be locked in a vault, she would keep this one to be remembered by. Fair. It's very iconic.
0: I mean, it's iconic. The um, looks that she gives. I mean, the fashion from it. Everything that she
1: did from this point.
0: People still talk about. Yeah. So this this was her iconic stage character, iconic film role. We, I mean, we know what happens from this film for her. So, I mean, like, so much came from this. Like, this was a culmination of things for her. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. This is it. And (laughs) she's, in many ways, she's the entire reason to watch this movie. (laughs) Agreed. Who could have been better? Hmm. Shirley MacLaine. Oh, I can see that. She was the original choice of the studio. Sure. And maybe the director. But Stark, who had also produced the Broadway show insisted that Streisand repeat her role. Fair. Now here's a previous who could have been better. Way back. The original choice for Broadway in 1962 when they started developing was Anne Bancroft.
0: Oh, I can see that. Sure. Yeah. I love Anne Bancroft.
1: She's amazing. Sure. Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. And then we get to our only other major star, Mm -hmm. Omar Sharif playing Nick Arnstein, an Egyptian actor. He almost exclusively worked in Egyptian film in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Then he broke out in Lawrence of Arabia. Hell of a way to make your English language debut. Yeah. Then The Fall of the Roman Empire, Behold a Pale Horse, Dr. Zhivago, and The Night of the Generals. After this movie, McKenna's Gold, Che, The Horseman, Funny Lady, Crime and Passion, The Pink Panther Strikes Again, Inchon, Top Secret, The Rainbow Thief, The 13th Warrior, Monsieur Ibrahim. Hidalgo, and 10,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Omar Sharif in this movie?
0: He's very boring.
1: He's very pretty, though.
0: He's pretty, but he's wasted. He's good in those first like three scenes, and then he's wasted.
1: The ruffled shirt scenes are magnificent. They are. He's a good enough actor to to be able to play this role, but mm-hmm. he needs a lot more to work with. Yeah. Because he's clearly not able to really sink his teeth into this role.
0: Yeah. And I don't think he has the best chemistry with Barbara.
1: He doesn't have the type of charisma Mm -hmm. to match her. Like, he's he's a very attract he's always been a very attractive man. Mm -hmm. And he does have a lot of charisma, but it doesn't match the level that Barbara's putting into Fanny Bryce. Yeah. Like, you need somebody who is the coolest as a cucumber person in any situation even when he's flailing and on a on a low streak he still needs to be so charming and it just it's not quite there Mm -hmm. like i don't want to say he's the wrong person i just i don't think he fully grokked it because there wasn't enough on the page for him to work with sure so
0: yeah it's just not great
1: that's not bad That's not great. The six day war between Israel and Egypt broke out during filming and Weiler was under major pressure to fire Sharif because he was Egyptian. Weiler refused being a solid Hollywood guy, but a publicity photo of Sharif and Streisand kissing got released to the press. And with the tension of the war running high, the Egyptian press started a smear campaign to try to get Omar Sharif's citizenship revoked. Wow. The headline read, quote, Omar kisses Barbara, Egypt angry. <laughs> Egypt's leader Gamal Abdel Nasser was actually furious about his continued participation in the film. And so they interviewed Barbara and her comment, quote, Egypt angry. You should have seen what my aunt Sarah said. Oh, Barbara. <laughs> Jeez. <sighs> Streisand and Sharif had an affair throughout the filming of the movie. This affair would lead to the end of her marriage to Elliot Gould. So, Wyler knew about the affair, Mm -hmm. and he used that as part of their performance and chemistry.
0: Yeah, they
1: didn't really have the best chemistry. Uh, During filming of The Final Number, Wyler had Sharif standing behind a curtain talking to her between takes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And with the affair ending... Because filming film was wrapping ending. up, yeah. Weiler knew that her, him being there would just bring out even more emotions from her. I
0: mean, that's smart. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, even if their affair wasn't ending or if they weren't having an affair, it's just smart to have the actor playing the character you're about to sing about there. Yeah, it's just
1: that is good directing. It's uh, a fair,
0: interesting affair aside. That's just wise.
1: Who could have been better? Hmm. Frank Sinatra. Yes, Babs vetoed. She yeah. She stated, I respect him very much, but personally she did not like him. <laughs> Here's the, he would have been more he would have been distracted. He would have stolen
0: the show. Oh yeah. Everyone had been paying attention to him, and Babs does not want to share the
1: spotlight. Also, she'd probably met Frank and been like, What an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie Grant. Eh, two Marlon Brando. Now uh, 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 Marlon Brando in nineteen sixty eight still had something. But no. Gregory. No. Too Why? It's why too would stiff? Too stiff. Too stiff, too. Uh, not charming. No. Sean Connery.
0: Hells yes!
1: Holy fuck, James Bond. James Bond as a as a shifty
0: uh, card player. Yes, thank you. Nick Anstein. Yes, thank you.
1: <laughs> yes, thank <laughs> you. I will take it, please. Well, let's talk about another shifty card player, James Garner. Oh. Oh. As my
0: cowboy for life, I don't care about you, John Wayne. It is James Garner. And why don't we go for a third, Paul Newman. Well, yeah, there you go.
1: He turned it down because he said, I can't sing or dance. Fair.
0: (laughs) Well, Nick Arnstein doesn't dance in this film, but he does need to sing. Yeah, he does. He has to sing.
1: And Sean Connery. I want Sean Connery so bad. I do, too. Oh, man. That would be hot. Anyway. Now we get to our puns, because everybody else in this movie might be a well-known actor, but they're barely in it. And we explained why. Mm-hmm. We start with Kay Medford as Rose Bryce. She was a stage actor of renown, but it was also in Face in the Crowd, The Rat Race, and Butterfield 8. She played Fanny's mom on Broadway as well. Oh, okay. Anne Francis playing Georgia James. hmm Mentioned her, she's in Bad Day at Blackrock, Blackboard Jungle, Forbidden Planet, and she was the mom in Tom Hanks' vehicle, Mazes and Monsters. Walter Pigeon playing Florence Zegfield. He was a longtime actor since the 20s. He was in How Green Was My Valley, Forbidden Planet, and the 1965 Cinderella on television. Mm hmm. Mae Questel playing Mrs. Strakosh. We've talked about her before because she was one of the grandparents in Christmas Vacation, but she was the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil. Oh, yeah. nice frank phelan playing keeney he was the dad from the many loves of dobie gillis Mm -hmm. penny santon playing mrs meeker she was a longtime actress who played nana tribiani in the one where chandler can't remember which sister (laughs) roy clark playing a dancer in this movie he's actually a legendary guitarist and banjo player and was the host of hee haw
0: oh wow okay
1: Ruth Clifford, playing a maid, she was the voice of Minnie Mouse and Daisy Duck in the 40s and 50s. Sis Corbin, playing a Zeg Field girl, she became a longtime casting director and helped produce The Prince of Tides. She did casting for Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, Yentl, Once Upon a Time in America, and The Last Temptation of Christ. Craig Huxley, playing Hecky, he started out as a child actor, notably playing Peter Kirk, James T. Kirk's nephew on Star Trek. But he then became a composer, an instrument designer, and a synthesizer whiz, creating a synthesizer called the Blaster Beam that has been used in all of the Star Trek movies and numerous sci-fi films since. Mm
0: -hmm. So he
1: pivoted in a very different direction. Wow, okay. Sherry Lansing, playing one of the girlfriends, she was a groundbreaking female film executive. She was the first woman to take over a major studio in 1980 heading 20th Century Fox, and then became the CEO of Paramount in 1990, eventually stepping down from that role in 2005. And finally, Shelley Morrison playing the second floor woman, you might know her as Rosario from Will and Grace.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay, cool.
1: (laughs) True arpons here.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: There's only one real note of trivia besides what we've mentioned here. And that is that the Swan was a sequence that was written for the film, the whole Swan Lake parody. The original number, Rat-A-Tat-Tat, seemed too dated for the production by 1968. Barbara did all of the dancing out of sheer will and training from Nora Kay, who was the wife of Herbert Ross and was also a former ballerina dancer. Streisand did three months of intensive rehearsal mm. to complete 10 days of filming for that sequence. Okay. Interestingly enough, Fanny Bryce herself did a very similar act down to the swan costume and the hunter in a 1930 film called Be Yourself. Okay. So very much a take on that. And now let's talk about awards. We can talk about who won these awards because this is not 1975. This is 1968. It was nominated for eight awards. Barbara Streisand, of course, won Best Actress, tying with Katherine Hepburn, In The Lion in Winter, upon receiving her Oscar, Barbara repeated her line, hello, gorgeous, to her newly won Oscar. Classic. Wonderful. Cool. Streisand was not a voting member of the Academy at the time. She was only a stage performer. She'd never even been in movies. Mm -hmm. So when she was nominated, as any Academy member does, she voted for herself. Yep. That was the one vote that sealed her tie. She would not have tied if she had not voted for herself. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. Then it lost every other Oscar it was nominated for. Mm -hmm. But these are some good movies. It lost Best Picture to Oliver. Okay. Kay Medford was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She lost to Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Best Cinematography. It lost to Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Best Sound, it lost to Oliver. Yeah. Best Editing, it lost to Bullet and its amazing car chases.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Best Original Song, Funny Girl, was nominated. Mm -hmm. It lost to The Windmills of Your Mind from The Thomas Crown Affair, (laughs) which is like a weird psychedelic pop song. That's amazing. (laughs) And it lost Best Musical Score to
0: Oliver. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny because people... We talked about this a lot last year with last year's Oscars because we're like, well, a tie is statistically possible.
1: Very much so. You
0: can tie because of the directors and everything was going with 1917 and Parasite. We're like, it's very possible they'll tie. It's very possible. And we pointed to this Oscar because it happened.
1: It did happen.
0: It happened. And I also think it's funny that, of course, she tied with the woman who never shows up. So she got to to give a speech all by herself, which is kind of the best scenario for a tie.
1: And one of the most legendary speeches in Oscars history.
0: Hello, gorgeous. (laughs) 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 Yeah, like I I knew that's where it was from. And so I knew that's what she said as soon as she got it, which is just precious. And then, of course, she wore that outfit, which is uh, iconic.
1: (laughs) She's an icon. Yeah, it was it was the 60s. For each movie, we have a special rating system for this film. Oh boy. Are we going to go roller skates?
0: That's what I was thinking. How many roller skates?
1: Ah, uh, How many roller skates for this movie? I really liked it. <laughs> 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 Everything we talked about, you, you've convinced me of the problems, but I still really enjoyed it. I'm going to go three and a half then.
0: It's a three for me.
1: I wanted to go higher, but... You you've convinced me that there are a lot of problems. It's a three
0: because I I I think the other problem is I don't really like the songs.
1: Oh, I love the songs.
0: I don't I I don't like the songs very much. Oh,
1: I think they're fantastic, but you know.
0: But I I really want to see the stage musical. I'm not interested in this movie. I'm interested in the stage musical. (laughs) Love the character of Fanny Bryce. Love Barbara. Not it's just everything else you can throw away. All right,
1: well, fair, but we're not done because see they made a sequel yep same character yep couple of the same characters okay but a new guy involved yeah and i'm curious to see if they really did go the full star is born treatment in the second movie it's a better template would make a lot more sense for a 75 film so we're gonna go watch funny Lady.
0: So we watched Funny Lady,
1: the story of singer Fanny Bryce's stormy relationship with showman Billy Rose.
0: Why why did they make a sequel?
1: I don't know. And they made such a bad one. Hey.
0: This movie's so bad.
1: That synopsis is not what this movie is.
0: It's really not.
1: It should be about her relationship with Billy Rose. But instead, it's a bunch of belting numbers for Barbara
0: that are really bad, and they're songs that should not be sung that way.
1: Like, knowing the soundtrack, half of the songs in this movie are Billy Rose songs.
0: Which makes total sense.
1: Yeah, so in a lot of ways, you're reverse engineering around a lot of those show tunes. But, you know, the big showstopper that we've rolled our eyes at where she sings twice, we hear her sing on the record, and then goes out on the stage and sings it again. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck?
0: That's not how this song should be sung. This
1: is candor and ebb, which this is cabaret Chicago level musical
0: and it's not being sung that way. It's being sung like a Barbara standard and it's not.
1: She has a very specific style.
0: She does and if you if you and the thing is she could be so good at the other stuff, but they don't they're not letting her do that here and it's coming off so bad
1: i don't know that anybody knew what they were doing with this movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay so like our complaint with the last one was that like it would have been a much better story if it was all told through the lens of her career
1: yeah it's just it's it's dragging in the parts where we're not focused on fanny becoming fanny
0: yeah and so here she's fanny so like we don't need a Who is Fanny becoming? And she has to make a choice between this career and that career. She's already who she's going to be. Clearly, she still is holding out hope for Nick and whatever. Okay, fine. That makes sense. I'm cool with that. So we start this movie with the dissolution of her marriage. Cool. But if this movie is going to be a Fanny Bryce movie, it should still be focused on her. And what it really is, is this dude comes around and he's a hustler. He's not without talent and insight. He does have some of that because he's, he's able to get some success. But he's just a hustler. And as soon as the wind blows, he moves on to something else.
1: To me, it's, it's far more of there's a very simple story here mm-hmm. that we've overcomplicated.
0: Oh, 100%. I
1: actually think the difference is in this movie, you don't need as much of Fanny's career.
0: True. You need
1: more of Fanny and Billy.
0: Oh, you do. What I would have been totally fine with is if we actually had a movie that was almost completely about Billy and Billy's career and Fanny was the Nikki character in it.
1: I mean, (laughs)
0: because that's who she is to Billy.
1: You know, here's the thing is a year later, they make A Star is Born. They remake A Star is Born with Barbara and it becomes a giant sensation. Sure. And it's the template for... The version of A Star is Born that we saw just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I think this movie should have had that tone. Okay. That we spent the whole first movie with Fanny becoming a star. We want to center a little bit more on her, but it's all about her rise. Mm-hmm. And let this movie be about the darker side of that. Like, it's the depression. She's clearly struggling to get shows that's the whole problem here
0: true like she's kind of aged out of her shtick, and they can't get anything just well they can't get anything to stick actually anymore and that's fine too it's just there were so many options they could have taken and they didn't take any of them
1: they didn't tell any story
0: no it's a mishmash the only part of the movie that i actually found entertaining The first show that Billy's puts on that just goes completely haywire. (laughs) Just all of the theater nonsense going wrong because it's funny and having having that theater background. You've been on a show where something goes wrong and
1: that's entertaining. There's that. And I don't hate the chemistry. I don't hate the chemistry between Barbara and James Caan. I really don't. I think they're pretty good together.
0: They're they're not bad, but they're not that interesting. Well, I
1: don't think they're interesting because there's nothing that they're able to do with it. Nothing's happening. Yeah. But, like, them together, I think, is charming and wonderful. And I just wish that they had actually used that for fucking anything.
0: I mean, they're fine. But ultimately, the dynamic is he's difficult, she's difficult. But, you know... That's what makes it hot for them. And it's just like that's it's not clever enough to be interesting. It's just not. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. (laughs) It is a bad movie with mediocre performances. That's boring as fuck. So fucking boring.
1: The budget for this film was eight and a half million dollars. Okay. It made forty million dollars. Okay, sure. It was success. It's Barbara and James Caan. Sure. Like, come on. So Stark. Decided he wanted to tell the full second half of Fanny Bryce's story. Okay. Our producer. Barbara refused. Mm -hmm. And he had to sue her because she was still under contract. Mm, She didn't want to do this. She had no desire to come back to this role. That
0: makes sense. Why? I mean.
1: I set my entire career off with this character. I gave everything. On
0: stage. I got an Oscar. I just did. I just did Dolly Levi. And. It did not go well. Well,
1: I did. I did that right after, and it it almost tanked my career.
0: Yeah, I no. need. I need to do something different for a bit.
1: And again, a year later, she's going to do A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. which is a much better version of this story. Sure. Like, come on! It's a much better
0: version of just Fanny Bryce, and pe-
1: period. Supposedly, on completion of filming, Barbara presented Stark with a mirror with "paid in full" written in lipstick.
0: Okay, that's bitchy as fuck.
1: And also badass, because she's like, fuck you, I will never work with you
0: again. That's that's like shitty diva behavior. I'm sorry. You got credit for the the watch to the director on Fanny Bryce. This is, you're a bitch.
1: Except that when somebody tries to control you six (laughs) years later. No, no, no. You signed a
0: contract. Yeah. You signed a fucking contract. I get it. You're a big fucking deal. But this is, that's part of the deal. And you just, and here's the thing you are a fucking bitch on the last movie. You controlled the story, you made other people get cut out. The movie suffered because of it. That's fair. This film is garbage.
1: (laughs) It's garbage. And you clearly didn't give a shit enough.
0: You're garbage in it. And your attitude is clearly garbage. Look, I can understand, like, I don't want to do this movie. I don't want to be involved in this movie. But you can give a fuck you to the studio and not fuck everyone you're working with. But clearly, that's not how Barbara plays. No. If it's not good for her, fuck everyone involved. That seems like it. Yeah, I don't like you anymore, Barbara. <laughs> nope. No, I'm not, I, that's not cool. I'm sorry. That's just a shitty thing to do. Because nobody else is responsible for that except for you.
1: Our writers are Arnold Schulman writing the story and screenplay, and Jay Presson Allen. Mm-hmm. Schulman, before this, wrote *Wild as the Wind*, *A Hole in the Head*, *Cimarron*, and *The Night They Raided Minsky's*. After this, he wrote *A Chorus Line*, *Tucker: The Man in His Dream*, and the TV film *And the Band Played On*. Jay okay. Presson Allen is a Texan, and she graduated from Dallas Hockaday School. Ah, okay. Before this, she wrote Marnie, the Prime of Miss Jean Brody, Cabaret, and Travels with My Aunt. After this, she would write the 1976 Star is Born, Prince of the City, Death Trap, The Verdict, and Lord of the Flies from 1990. Wow. These are not bad screenwriters.
0: No, they're not, which... I didn't know what the story was, and I think that it's the musical part. The got... whole,
1: the whole thing is a mess. And again, part of this, you know, yes, that was a terrible move on Barbara's part. Mm-hmm. But Ray Stark should have never made this fucking movie. I don't know why he thought it was worth it to make the end of this story. Funny Girl was a perfectly fine story. Enough. Mm-hmm. We don't need the Denouement. We just don't.
0: Here's the thing: you didn't have the music to back it up. You barely had it in the first one. I know that sounds blasphemous, but that's just how I feel. I don't love the music of Funny Girl.
1: But at least the first one has a cohesive musical already built together.
0: And it's got a couple of good hooks. It does. Oh, it's, yeah. It's got a couple. Every musical has a couple songs. You're just kind of like, wah, It's just the way it works. This one doesn't have a single one that's worth repeating. It just doesn't. I don't care. Like none of them to me are good
1: this is a movie that shouldn't have been made
0: oh great because
1: there's no purpose for it and then when you do that you have to sort of somehow back engineer the whole thing yep when again if this was a movie with music and not a musical Mm -hmm. if all we ever have are the billy rose numbers Mm -hmm. and then the rest of this is a drama yep it works a lot better it really does.
0: If, it, if we only ever got the singing when she was actually on stage and performing, then it would be fine.
1: Because here's the thing. That, that one sequence mm-hmm. where she's listening to the record mm-hmm. is actually wonderful. It's captivating. It's acting. It's actual acting. It's not bad. Then she goes out on the stage and sings it. And it's bunkers. It's like, what are you doing? And that's, that's the problem here. Is that had it just been her ruminating in the mirror, listening to mm-hmm. the record of herself singing feeling down and then building herself up to make her dramatic exit to the party.
0: Well, if it was her having a conversation with herself on that album.
1: Also true.
0: That's what that should have been. Because the thing is, it can't be the same song. And that's what it was.
1: It was so bad.
0: Or if they did the Coco thing with Remember Me, where she sings a song this one way. And it has this tone. It has this one meaning. And then she goes out on stage and she sings it in a completely different tempo and tenor and style. And all of a sudden, the song takes on a completely different meaning. Then you could do that. But that's not what happened.
1: That's what they thought they were doing.
0: They thought they were doing, but they didn't pull it off. Because, come on. in Coco, that's a huge switch. Because you're like, okay, cool. Cool. It's like, oh, fuck you. the song is
1: sad.
0: Uh-huh. And it, but it
1: kills you and it's perfect like on their own none of these are bad songs but they didn't tell any story whatsoever this,
0: song's, this movie sucks this, the, the writing sucks
1: eleanor holm billy's new star in the film lent her name to the production on the condition that the actress portraying her would have no lines okay Per Holm, who spoke for one of barbara's biographies okay said quote What I objected to was all that talk between Fanny and Billy, particularly the line, how much did she take you for? I left that marriage with nothing. I just wanted out. Fanny never caught us together either. Maybe she did take a plane to see Billy, but she for sure didn't walk in and catch us in that kip. All right. Just like the first movie, they wholesale made shit up about Fanny Bryce and Billy Red.
0: Some of that I don't care about. Like, Here's the thing. I don't care about some of that. It's got to be dramatic for the movie it's like of course she's got to find out of course he's with another woman you want she makes this big grand gesture that she's going to get on a plane to see this guy that plane scene was horrible oh, oh. she in order to make her finding out officially finding out she's got to catch them i don't care like i personally don't care i understand the people involved being like that did not fucking happen like i get from a real life perspective how that would be like I just want to be clear, that didn't actually happen.
1: Well, because here's the thing with Fanny Bryce is from all indications, Fanny was incredibly talented and was also involved in real shady dealings, whether or not that was all her choice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She got caught up in some like really rough worlds. So like the actual life of Fanny Bryce actually is super compelling, but it, it has nothing to do with this story. <laughs> And at a certain point, I feel like they got so disconnected from that because they were trying to do a rehab story on mm-hmm. Fanny Bryce that they missed the point of what her story was actually about.
0: Well, and it's I mean, I got this feeling from the first one, too, is just like this is why her real life is very interesting. and is a great inspired by but not based on true events would have been a better road to go because then you could have been like, hey, this is the thing that really happened. But also, we took a lot of creative license because it was more compelling for a linear story.
1: And for me, it's that, you know, it's like they sacrificed telling a good story Mm -hmm. for telling a good story about Fanny. Yeah.
0: And they didn't do either.
1: Because Ray Stark Mm -hmm. has a vested interest in trying to portray Fanny Bryce in this really positive light instead of portraying her as kind of messed up.
0: Well, and that would actually ground her a lot better instead of just being this idiot woman (laughs) because she's because I know she's not an idiot, but she acts like one. Yeah. Like her, her acceptance of the marriage proposal seems very on par with Fanny Bryce. All right. Like, sure. Why not? Like, she doesn't want to be alone. But then the
1: whole rest of the movie is her trying to convince herself to fall in love with him.
0: Well, it's her acting like she did with with Nikki. But all the while still fully being in love with Nikki, which also that also makes sense to me. She was head over in heels in love with that dude, in that at least in that movie. And I do like that it took her running into Nikki and kissing him to be like, oh, I was just in love with an idea. I'm fine with all of that. But you made it just overwrought and stupid. And then it's like, no, I, I'm fine with her catching Billy and just being like, so really, I just didn't want to be alone. I'm not in love with Nikki. I'm definitely not in love with you. And then it should have been this whole like, I'm going to be just fine on my own. Fuck all these dudes who just want me for what I can give to them because they're not doing enough for me. That's what it should have been. But it's not.
1: (laughs) The credits do contain a disclaimer for similarities between real characters and fake characters, probably because a whole bunch of this movie was fucking made up and they didn't want to get sued by people. I I just... Again, if you're gonna make a bunch of stuff up, at least tell a good story while you're doing it. Tell
0: a better linear story that doesn't, like, that makes your characters cool.
1: All right, well, our director is Herbert Ross. You might remember his name because he directed the musical numbers for Funny Girl. Okay. He's also a well known choreographer and Broadway guy, but also made a nice career directing movies. Before this, he made Goodbye, Mr. Chips, The Owl and the Pussycat, and played again, Sam. Hmm. After this, He directs the Sunshine Boys. He's going to be back for our next movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Broadway guy. Makes sense. Uh, Okay. The 7% Solution, The Goodbye Girl, California Suite, Pennies from Heaven, Footloose, Protocol, The Secret of My Success, Steel Magnolia's My Blue Heaven, and Boys on the Side.
0: Okay. Well, he improved.
1: (laughs) What do we think of his directing?
0: The movie sucks. And I really, I feel like it's more the writing and you have an actress who does not want to fucking be there, so she's clearly making things difficult for her. I just don't care.
1: I think there's some bold moments. the musical
0: sequence are very well done. they are because he knows what he's doing. I really liked the synchronized swimming. the scene with the ladies with the glass with the light projection. beautiful. but yes. they
1: all go on so long. They go
0: well, that's because that's the only thing of of interest. <laughs> I mean, he does like those remind me of the films of like the the forties and the fifties. Those big spectacles, and they look gorgeous. It's
1: true. I just go like, okay, give me thirty seconds of this. Oh, big spectacle! And now Fanny ruins it, like in the synchronized swimming part. That's so perfect, right? Oh,
0: it's per it's perfect. Give
1: me the sense of the grandeur, and then show me the clown swimming in.
0: Yeah, it had about one minute too long.
1: Everything in this movie was like
0: that, mm-hmm. except for the theater disaster. That was fun.
1: That that very true.
0: That was fun. I I liked how big of a disaster that was.
1: And Fanny just being like, "I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna fucking kill him."
0: That was that was entertaining.
1: Uh, One good sequence, at least. Hmm. One good sequence. One. Per a book about her, Barbara the Second Decade. Second Decade. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. There's a bunch of scenes that are cut from the film that include longer scenes with Ben Vereen. Oh, okay. Her performing as her popular baby Snook's character for radio and a full dramatic scene with her young daughter. Given the fact that we have... So many long ass musical sequences. Could we not have sacrificed some of that shit for, I don't know, these scenes that might give us some more context?
0: Well, anybody who's seen this film has seen the first one, at least when the, when it was released. Right. So we know she can act. What This baby Snooks character has no context from the first one. So we should have had that. That's probably what you should have opened the movie with, because this is her new thing. That
1: was the thing she became most famous for.
0: And then Ben Vereen is awesome, so I would have loved more of him.
1: Just Fanny talking to more people.
0: And then also her daughter, who is older now, and then we just get referenced to her. We never see her. No, no. And then she yells at Nikki for not even asking about her.
1: I think there's a bunch of shit that got cut for time on this movie, which fair, this movie didn't need to be any longer, but sacrifice some of the spectacle bullshit for some of this context, because holy crap. So bad. <laughs> this movie's so bad. Vilmos Zygmond, who also did photography for Close Encounters, was hired as the director of photography. But when the executive saw dailies of the number Great Day, this is the Blow Gabriel Horn sequence. Oh, okay. They thought his lighting style was too dark. He modeled it after musical theater of the 1930s. Okay. They fired him. And if you'll recall in our discussion about Close Encounters, Mm -hmm. they desperately tried and eventually did fire him from that movie as well.
0: Wow. That dude just can't catch a break.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Herbert Ross objected. Barbara Streisand was completely surprised by all of this. Mm -hmm. But they brought in a very famous director of photography, James Wong Howe, who, among other things, did Sweet Smell of Success and HUD Mm -hmm. to replace him. This was Howe's last film. He fell ill during production. He finished the film, but he fell ill. So they brought in Ernest Laszlo, who's also a big name guy, to fill in during the interim. Laszlo, as far as they know, one of the biggest things he did was the synchronized swimming sequence.
0: I mean, that looked really cool.
1: So <laughs> what the fuck is up with Vilmos Shigmund? Like, by all accounts, the directors are like, this guy's amazing. What are you doing? Studio execs don't like this guy. Probably because he costs them too much money.
0: It's it's probably because it's very arty and it's not what they're used to. Yeah. That's usually the case with most things.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about our cast. Why? Barbara Streisand playing Fanny Bryce. Sucks.
0: (laughs) I'm very turned off by the fact that she did that to the director because it's like you, you signed up for this. Uh, you have a bajillion lawyers. You could have had them get you out of it or you could have paid money to get out of it and you threw a big diva fit instead. And I I don't, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in poor taste. Like it was, it was bad behavior before and I let some of it slide in part because of new to being on film. It's her first movie and being passionate about learning the process. Like not great, because the story suffered, but also the gift she gave her director showed an awareness of it, like a little tiniest bit of humility that Oscar went to that bitch's head. Like, oh, this is how I get to be now because I win Oscars for this.
1: I want to be very clear. This is a reportedly thing that comes from IMDb. This is very possibly a rumor that went around that might not be true. I just want to put that out there. I don't care. <laughs> Allegedly. That's fine. Way to hedge your bets.
0: Well, <laughs> no, that's fair. But I don't. I, that makes me mad.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I also just want to go. Many, many people would have a vested interest in trying to torpedo Barbara Streisand for a lot of different reasons.
0: <laughs> true.
1: Because she's smart enough to make them look bad without it going public. So they might be lying. Just, just gonna put that out there for everybody. I don't know how true. How how much i believe that but she's a
0: pain in the ass
1: that's very true
0: like that's now well documented (laughs) uh,
1: while filming the plane sequence the control tower made an error forcing the plane to circle the airport for nearly 30 minutes barbara who is afraid of flying screamed the entire time until the plane landed
0: (laughs) that can't be good for your voice such drama all right I mean that does suck. Yeah. That's Str- unfortunate. Um screaming. The screaming part is just it was sort of like that's really not good for your voice, lady. <laughs> that's I mean that's all I have to say about that.
1: Streisand did not want James Con to hit her with the talcum powder. She feared that there might be something toxic in it and it might coat her lungs. Very fair, you're a singer.
0: I I can respect that.
1: Con and Ross conspired And Khan agreed to hold back, but when the camera started rolling, he dumped it on her anyway. However, they both laughed. And what you see on screen is their natural reaction. They only did one take, and they got it. And she says it's now one of her personal favorite scenes.
0: I don't like the conspiring against somebody who has legit concerns. Yes. I don't like that.
1: I like the end story, though.
0: I don't like how we got there. I can appreciate that. It's like the one moment where she's, good sport about something (laughs) reportedly
1: (laughs) she did learn to ride horses and jump hurdles for the film Mm. and there is a cut scene where fanny rides around cantering around an arena Mm. there is a photo that exists and again it was probably removed for runtime again more interesting stuff
0: like what is she doing when she's not performing god oh she's hanging out with her daughter and uh, yeah all this stuff
1: Her costume for Great Day took around 150 man hours of tailoring and beading. Wow.
0: Okay.
1: It's a gorgeous costume. It really is. It's pretty cool. That's all that's going on for this fucking movie. Pretty much. Next, we have James Caan as Billy Rose. We have already talked about James Caan in Misery.
0: We did. He's
1: fantastic in that film. He was. Lots of TV and minor roles throughout the 60s. Then he does The Rain People. Rabbit Run, Brian's Song on Television, The Godfather, Mm -hmm. The Gambler, The Godfather Part Two, and Gone with the West. After this, Rollerball, The Killer Elite, Silent Movie, Harry and Walter Go to New York, A Bridge Too Far, Comes a Horseman, 1941, Thief, Alien Nation, Dick Tracy from 1990, Misery, Honeymoon in Vegas, The Program, Flesh and Bone, A Boy Called Hate, Bottle Rocket, Eraser, Bulletproof, Mickey Blue Eyes, The Way of the Gun, City of Ghosts, Dogville, Elf, 2008's Get Smart, New York I Love You, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. What do we think of James Caan in this movie?
0: He's fine.
1: I don't think he's that terrible.
0: He's not terrible, but he's not very interesting.
1: That's because Billy's written so thinly.
0: He's cute in like the first few scenes. Yeah. Cuz you're like, "Okay, who's this who's this little hustler guy?" But then it all goes away. And oh. then he's he's almost neutered and then like he doesn't try to ch- they just like took away all of his attempts at charming Fanny, which I also was like, "This makes no sense for this guy." <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense that he would stop.
1: The second they get married, everything goes to shit.
0: Which it's totally fine. But
1: like in the movie, not not just their relationship. That, that makes sense story-wise. But the second that he does the marriage proposal, everything disappears. A part of it is that they have the story of them being separate. Yeah, they just separated them, which... Okay,
0: fine, but we should have had more of that being an issue.
1: Oh my god!
0: (laughs) Like, I I did genuinely love the scene where they're both on the phone with the agent manager guy, and then they put the phones. Yeah, that was hilarious.
1: But this is also like a nice reminder of, is like, yeah, this was James Caan when he was at his best, when he was that kind of rakish and charming, and like he's ten times better as Sonny Corleone in the Godfather. I was about to
0: say, I was like, no, his best is. oh
1: absolutely but like there's a there's a hint of it in this movie Mm -hmm. that's there and you're like okay yeah i know why i like you Mm. he's a totally different actor now which is fine he has a very different set of roles he plays but it's just like oh yeah this is what you were
0: he plays the guy who used to be sonny corleone
1: you're not wrong that's who he plays now (laughs) who could have been better robert blake of in cold blood fame Really? Yeah. Streisand thought he had a very similar look to Billy Rose. Oh, okay. So she had him come to her house and read through the script. Sure. And after the read, she was completely impressed. Robert Blake, great actor. We watched in Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. He was really good. But uh, she asked him if he wanted to do the part. And he said, quote, I just did, and stormed out angry. Mm. So she, <laughs> she said, well, <laughs> She basically went, okay then, and offered James Conn the role. <laughs>
0: don't don't blame her on that one. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. no.
1: It's like, wow. Man. Wow. Men are so fragile. Yeah, well, Robert Blake was a horrible person. So well, yeah. Next we have Omar Sharif returning as Nick Arnstein.
0: He's in the movie such a tiny
1: amount. The last scene is actually kind of interesting. I don't know that he's doing a whole lot to make it interesting.
0: <laughs> he's not. I really liked him in that first one because you think he's there for her. And then you're like, oh, shit, I I, I did really like
1: that. Yeah. And you're
0: like, oh, no, uh, he married an older woman for her money.
1: <laughs> it's a it's sort of a deceptive billing there of like, why are you at the top of this billing? I don't. That's weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still, he's not terrible. He's Omar Sharif.
0: No, he's fine.
1: And Roddy McDowell playing Bobby fanny's best friend
0: he's fabulous i would have loved so much more of him
1: before this he starts as a child actor how green was my valley the pied piper my friend flicka lassie come home the white cliffs of dover thunderhead son of flicka macbeth in 1948 lots of tv in the 50s comes back as a grown-up in the longest day cleopatra shock treatment the greatest story ever told that darn cat inside davy clover Best remembered as Cornelius in the original Planet of the Apes.
0: Uh, see, I knew he was familiar, but I didn't know why.
1: And then eventually he plays Caesar in Planet of the Apes in, uh, I believe it's, well, he's in all of them. He's in all the original run of the Planet of the Apes okay. films, and yeah. he's like one of the main characters. Pretty Maids all in a row, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Conquest of the <gasps> Planet of the Apes.
0: It's Bedknobs and Broomsticks. That's where I know. Because I'm like, I know this guy's <laughs> familiar. But it, it's, oh, I watched that movie so much as a kid.
1: That movie's fucked up. The Poseidon Adventure and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. After this, he does The Fantastic Journey on television, lots of guest star spots, Class of 1984, Fright Night, Overboard, Fright Night Part 2, The Tick, and he is the voice of Snowball, the main rival of Pinky and the Brain. He is in <laughs> he's an
0: Overboard? He's the butler.
1: Roddy McDowell's fucking great. And again, you're absolutely right. He should be in more of this movie. He's so wonderful.
0: He should be her bitchy as fuck gay best friend. He's So much. He's just the veiled gay best friend, which I understand. is 1975, but still, it's the theater we know.
1: The biggest problem is that it feels like he disappears at the end of the movie.
0: He completely does. Like In the beginning, he's there, and Fanny's like, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to come work for me. And he's like, uh, okay. And then he's just gone the second she gets married, which sort of makes sense, but doesn't.
1: He should still be, like, trying to be involved.
0: Like, once he goes away, it should just be, it should be the Fanny and Bobby show. And then that should be causing problems for Billy. It's like, you're spending all your time with Bobby. What are you doing? Like, he needs to go away when I come here. And it's just like, nope, he's, he's here for me more than you are. blah, blah. blah, blah.
1: So many missed opportunities. Yeah. Let's talk about some more missed opportunities with our r pawns Namely, Ben Vereen as Burt Robbins.
0: I mean, Ben Vereen is amazing all the time, always. So yes, please.
1: Broadway legend, occasional TV star, because he's better known for his stage work than his television, even though he did have a lo- a nice run.
0: He's, I mean, he's been on TV here and there. He yeah. just shows up all the time. So people know who he is.
1: Best known with Sweet Charity, Roots, Webster, Zoobley Zoo, and How I Met Your Mother.
0: Zubulie Zoo. <laughs> okay, for the longest time, people thought I was like making up a like acid dream when I talked about Zubulie Zoo, and I wasn't.
1: Nope, it's Zoo- on IMDb.
0: Zubulie Zoo is a real thing, and it starred Ben Vereen, and he was the lion.
1: He is a composite of vaudeville legend Bert Williams and stage legend Bill Bojangles Robinson. Yep, we have Larry Gates playing Bernard Baruch. You would best know him as Endicott, the main bad southern racist dude in In the Heat of the Night. Okay. He gets slapped by Sidney Poitier. Ooh. Lillian Chauvin as Mademoiselle. She played Grandma Tribiani in The One Where Ross Can't Flirt.
0: That's a good one. That's where he gets too many pizzas.
1: Samantha C. Kirkaby playing Fran. She's now a script supervisor who worked on Waterworld, Twister, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Ring, and the later Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Weird. Pivot.
0: That's a weird pivot, but okay.
1: And Bill Baldwin as the announcer for the stage. He's a longtime voice announcer and was the fight announcer in Rocky, Rocky 2, and Rocky 3. Nice. <laughs> Nominations. This was nominated for Oscars.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: But... It was nominated for Cinematography, okay. Costume Design, mm-hmm. Best Sound, mm-hmm. Best Original Song, How Lucky Can You Get by Candor and Ebb. Sure. The song itself is good.
0: I'm sorry.
1: And Best Song Score Adaptation. No acting, no directing, Thank God. no writing, except for some of the songs.
0: That's a different type of writing, so I'll allow it.
1: <sighs> I was like, you know what? I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this.
0: I, am sad. I'm sad.
1: How about some trivia? Sure. The train station was filmed at the Oakland Central Station in downtown Oakland, which was still in use during filming and looked almost exactly the same as it did in the 1940s. That's cool. It was shut down after the massive 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake, which is best known for causing a giant massive earthquake during the World Series. But its architecture is still intact and you can see it today. You can't go inside, but you can see it. Oh, that's cool. Near the end of the film, we see a grand piano with framed portraits on top. The portrait of Roddy McDowell is actually a publicity photo from him in the Poseidon Adventure. (laughs) That's funny. And there are two different versions of the soundtrack. The original stereo LP features original recordings from the film, though many of those were truncated on screen. So there are longer versions. Oh, dear God. God. Of those songs. They were
0: longer. <laughs> they would have made the long movie
1: longer. We we had shorter, ver- we watched shorter versions of the songs, Diana.
0: I'm not crying.
1: <laughs> like, I just, I... There is a quadraphonic LP that featured alternate takes of the songs as well. But So you can hear all of these very boring-ass songs in total surround stereo
0: oh please give me that
1: now and finally not a trivia piece that we found from imdb but a piece of trivia that's very close to our dallas fort worth hearts so
0: the whole thing with casa manana like he mentions it and i was like wait is that our casa manana
1: we're gonna be going to fort worth
0: yeah so um i've never actually been to casa manana but i was like wait is this real? Did he actually do that? Because again, it's a movie. You got to ask questions if it's real or not. But he did. The Casa Manana, as we know it here in Texas, he did actually found. And if you go to the IMDB page for Casa Manana, there's a postcard picture. And the image of Casa Manana on that postcard is almost identical to the model that they have in the film. And I was like, what the
1: fuck? Yeah, he was commissioned to create a stage for the Texas Centennial in 1936, which is a big deal around here. It was State Fair, Texas, if you've ever heard of that. That also came out of the 1936 Centennial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they built this stage, and then during the war, they were unable to keep the shows going mm-hmm. during World War II. But later on, people in Fort Worth decided, hey, we want to bring this back and we want to make it a full theater. So they enclosed it. Mm-hmm. So, what it used to be this giant open, this air space, open air thing, but now I've been to Casa Manana, and so it is just an enclosed big theater space. I had no idea,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: no idea.
0: So, that was that was kind of cool. So, we did l- that was the one glimmer of hope from this film is that we learned <laughs> something about our backyard.
1: And of course, for every movie, we have to have an independent rating system. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna rate it by Casa Manana's.
0: Oh, man, that makes me want to rate it better, because, like, I don't want to shit on Casa Manana. Uh,
1: too bad. All right. That's the best option we've got. There's nothing else Bear. memorable about this
0: fucking movie. Get, ugh, man, I don't, even, I don't even want to give it a rating, because I'm fucking annoyed by it. I'm going to give it one. That was literally what I was going to do. I'm going to give it
1: one Casa Manana,
0: because... Because I liked learning about Casa <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's
1: it. Okay, that's fair. But also, I... It's not a movie where I'm just like, there's nothing redeeming about this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There's little glimmers and moments here. The chemistry between Barbara and James Caan is fun to watch. Sure. Roddy McDowell's fun to watch. Yes. And it was one of those things where it's like, it's not all terrible, but as a whole, it it's is. so bad.
0: But it is horrible, and I don't like it, and I don't want to do it ever again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you don't. But how many Casamagnanas? You're doing one? I'm
0: also going with one, because it was so bad. <laughs> it, was not, it was not good.
1: Just watch Funny Girl. It's worth it. Funny Girl's okay. And then ignore this.
0: Yes, not.
1: Well, we're going to pivot to a different part of show business. Ooh. From musicals to vaudeville Okay. and comedy.
0: I like those things
1: we are going to watch the Sunshine
0: Boys. I have no context for this.
1: Neil Simon, oh. about aging comedians, mm-hmm. Walter Matthau, oh no, and George Burns playing rivals. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that sounds enjoyable. Here's the thing Neil Simon writes such good plays and such good scripts, he does. That This is going to be one of those where I'm like, it might not be the best movie, but I at least have a guarantee quality that I don't feel like I necessarily have with some of these others.
0: That's also fair.
1: I feel like at the very least, we're going to be entertained. Okay. And we might have a little feel here or there because that's Neil Simon. Okay. So we're going to enjoy that. But before we go, let's talk about some new movies we've seen. New movies. (laughs)
0: Today we watched Nomadland.
1: After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling, modern-day nomad.
0: This movie made me sad.
1: (laughs) I I really loved it. I really did.
0: I enjoyed it. It didn't make me sad.
1: Uh, It made me sad, but it also gave me a little bit of hope with it.
0: And, I mean, it does. I think it, there's a lot of hopefulness in it, and I like the the concept of like just deciding, like, yeah, I'm gonna chart my own path. Because there's a lot of that in it, and it's not it's not just bleakness. Because there's a lot of bleakness. Um, so there's there's that that I I do really love. But I can honestly tell you, if it weren't for 2020, this movie would not have made it through the noise. <laughs> uh, this is a right time, right place movie.
1: It really is, and that's um,
0: and that's not shitting on the movie at all, but this this where we said in our Oscar nomination reactions that the sound of metal was the little indie film that could. this might have become that movie because of the the big studio noise,
1: yeah, any other year, this would probably be the the little sneak this- in. What I really love about this movie from a writing standpoint is that. There there are times when a movie strives not to judge its characters. And when it does that, it fails miserably. There there are some times where it's like, no, 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 you should. This movie doesn't. And I appreciate that so much because it would be so easy to just try to peg these characters into one square hole.
0: So I have a problem with calling this an adapted screenplay. Uh-huh. Because so much of that was just real people telling their real life stories. That's in this movie. I know there are scripted scenes. Like I know it's script, like it's scripted, and it's based on a nonfiction book, right? But there's also a lot in the movie that is just real people. Like they're they're not actors, other than David Strathern and Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. It's all real people, and yeah. that's their actual life. And they're just talking. And most of those people did not know who Francis McDormand was. Oh. So in my mind, that just completely disqualifies it from any writing.
1: Interesting.
0: In my mind, I'm sorry, but I, like, I, like, I, <laughs> I don't want to shit on the movie because it's a beautiful movie, but learning that disqualifies it, in my mind, from writing consideration.
1: It, it doesn't for me because there's, there's a through line that has to be built up in that.
0: That, to me, speaks more to editing than anything else, that, which is beautifully edited. I mean, hello. It's beautifully edited, but that to me just to me that disqualifies it from editing. It's like we improved the entire movie. Okay, your script is bullshit. Goodbye. <laughs> like I'm not shitting on your script. You're a brilliant direct, brilliant direction and editing. And I, the direction is 100% warranted. 100% warranted. Yeah, I got no qualms with that nomination. Hells, <laughs> yeah, it's very well done.
1: I will. I will say this too. We talked about you know we're not gonna go rush out to see every little indie that could. I would have loved to see this on a big screen because of the vastness of the, there's the a, scenery there's
0: a lot of scenery scenes like I, mean.
1: I feel like it would make s- that much more a big impact sure. seeing it and I feel like if it if it does screen again, it's one of those movies that I'm like i might I might go watch it because it's so visually stunning there's, there's and all the nature that you get to be surrounded by with the movie there's
0: a lot of landscape and so i mean we have a decent sized television but you don't you would see more of that on a bigger screen so yeah. so that would be enjoyable to see sure
1: i think I think it's a really beautiful lovely story
0: it, it no it it is I'm not shitting on the movie at all yeah, yeah, yeah. um my my qualm about the writing thing is just it's a it's a nitpicky qualifier type thing that's just me uh, it's it's worth saying it is it's worth saying it doesn't um end on a downer i think it's it's just very thought provoking about making um the life that you want yeah I think and I think especially after this year, I think that's very uh of our time. So yeah, no, this would definitely recommend watching.
1: On Hulu. Brisk movie? Doesn't feel like it's slow at all.
0: No, it moved moved pretty well.
1: But just uh, a really beautiful watch. And we also watched
0: Borat's subsequent movie film.
1: Delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make-benefit once-glorious nation of Kazakhstan. (laughs) Borat returns from Kazakhstan to America, and this time he reveals more about the American culture, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the political elections:
0: so we weren't planning on watching, like, we prioritize, we prioritized the movies we needed to watch. And so this was in our third tier <laughs> uh, for, for obvious reasons. Um, but this does have an acting nomination in it, so we're like, we, do, we should see this if we can get to it." And we were just sitting around and we're like, "We just want to watch something that's not, like super heavy. So we turned it on. And this was so
1: good. I remember watching the first Borat.
0: I remember seeing that film. We watched that
1: in theaters. We did. Because it, it, it was a huge deal.
0: It was it was a huge cultural phenomenon.
1: And I remember coming out of that movie going, I understand why people like this. Totally. This is not a movie for me.
0: The thing we didn't like about the first one, and a lot of people didn't like, is that how uncomfortable we were with the people who were the patsies. We just... I don't... I don't find that funny. On Jackass, it lasts for for so little amount of time, like it it takes two seconds and then it's over. That I can find it to be more funny, and the butt of the joke is typically the jackasses, not the people who have to witness it. Yeah, that's not what's happening. The original film that's it would go on for so long.
1: It it felt uncomfortable, and I think a lot of people finally realized, you know, this is. It, it it was punching down unintentionally mm-hmm. at times in this movie, they don't punch down at all. They don't. and it's definitely feels like
0: a more elevated sense of humor. and it's they don't they don't let things go on as long. they they don't let things go on as long as they did in the last one. And there's a point to it here. yeah, like they made him a dad, which, <laughs> which is, is
1: wonderful.
0: And the political aspect of it, and then also the coronavirus portion of it, is also so interesting. And then also knowing what Sasha Baron Cohen's personal politics are is also really interesting. For, so that he's found, like, I'm going to use this character to point out some bullshit. Yeah. And is it the best way to do some of that? No. Is it a fun way to poke fun at some of the craziness? Yes. What's truly amazing
1: is not just Sasha Baron Cohen.
0: He he's fabulous and he's a genius. Like that's just never been up for debate. What is
1: surprising is his co-star, Maria Bakalova, a Bulgarian actress, plays his daughter, Tutar, in this film and is so fucking great. She does a tight rope walk that is masterful
0: because she has to rise to his performance in every scene and, and, and match him. She does. She has to match him, but also hit an emotional note and a comedy note and, and, and beat him at every turn. And she does it. She's phenomenal.
1: She's not an English language actress. She has done a lot of work. In 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 her native Bulgaria, she is the first Bulgarian actress to
0: ever get a BAFTA nomination, an Oscar nomination, actor or actress at all.
1: (laughs) She she earned the nomination here. She really
0: did. The acting chops, the physical comedy. I mean, you know, people people have always have talked about the Melissa McCarthy nominations the last few years. She makes mostly McCarthy look like crap in this film, with how talented she was, how the the extreme she went to. It's it's insane. It's fabulous.
1: She infiltrated literal political influence spears in order to do this role.
0: Oh, and then reading about how much they cut. Oh my god. <laughs> Which I feel like they cut it just so they didn't get like sued, sued. Of course, they still got sued, but of, of course, because of course they did. But it's just ugh. This this was fun. So if you are a fan of the Borat stuff, go see it. If you if you want to see them dunk on Republicans, really go see it. <laughs> if you just want to see an actress in her element, improving in this crazy character, go see this.
1: That's that's where I would put the recommendation most.
0: Oh sure. Oh my. This was this was a surprise. We were so I was surprised by how much I loved this. Yeah. This was this was fabulous.